Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1 as we go back into this wonderful book that was written by the Apostle Paul, we believe, while he was in Rome in prison to this wonderful church that was established by these wonderful saints, primarily a man by the name of Papyrus, which we'll learn a little bit, we've talked about a little bit, and we'll talk more about in the future. But this church was found in this little town called Colossae. And what God had done in that work, and we get to benefit from a letter that was written, of course, by Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to these Christians a few thousand years ago that still benefit us today. It's a small book, but I believe big things come in small packages. How about you? Big things come in small packages. And we see this in a small letter, but a very effective and powerful letter. As we read in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul starts this letter with salutations and greeting, as he often does. Then he goes and starts verses 2 through verses 8 into a time of thanksgiving and, uh, and praise for what the church has already accomplished. In verses 9 through 14, he begins to pray for them. What a wonderful pattern of the Christian life to greet someone and praise them for their wonderful accomplishments, but then thirdly, to pray for them. So look, look at this prayer in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being, faith, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness, and has translated us unto the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Oh, gracious Father, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful today we don't just uh, repeat wise fables or read from books of knowledge, but we have your book, your eternal word that abideth forever. We're so grateful today for that. Thank you that it's perfect. Thank you that it's preserved. Thank you that it's powerful. It does what a mere mortal cannot do. It reaches down into the depths of a person's soul and spirit and trans changes them for all eternity. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. Thank you for it today. And as we read it, I'll help us, God, not just, to under, just not to see the words or hear the words, but help us to understand them and help them, Lord, to lodge down in our hearts so they will only be heard and understood. But thirdly, may they be obeyed. Help us, Lord Jesus, this is an endeavor. And as, as I pray often, I pray, Father, if be one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior. Oh, Father, please draw that person to yourself before it is too late, for there will certainly be a day when it will be too late. Thank you for each believer who's here today. Encourage them, strengthen them. Do what you must in their life to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Over 90 years ago, a, a young missionary named Raymond Edmund staggered in from an Ecuadorian jungle, desperately ill. The doctor said, he'll be dead tomorrow. 
The man's wife, Edmund's wife, dyed her wedding dress black so it would be ready for the funeral. Of course, it was in the tropics, and the funerals had to happen immediately. However, thousands of miles away, in the town of Boston, Edmund's friend, Dr. Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting saying, I believe we need to pray for Ray Edmund in Ecuador. The group prayed earnestly until finally Evans called out, Praise the Lord, the victory is won. The rest is off repeated history. Raymond Edmund recovered. His wife's dress did not. And Dr. Edmund went on to become the president of Wheaton College for the next 40 years. Small things, big things come in small packages. Big things come in small packages. Prayer is vital to the Christian life. Here in this letter to the church of Colossae, in these verses, verses 9 through 14, we are instructed how we should pray for the church of God that he has given to us. First of all, we see in verse 9, Paul's prayer to know God's will. Paul's prayer to know God's will. Verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to, and that, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We, God wanted, Paul wanted the church at Colossae, the, the members of Colossae, to know his will. If I could say I wanted anything for you who are part of this church, members particularly, but those of you who attend as well, my greatest desire for you is to be successful. You say, preacher, you want me to have money and riches and all kinds of stuff? Thank you for that. No, you see, I define, I define success, success as finding God's will for your life and doing it. My greatest prayer for you every day that I get up, by the grace of God, I try to pray for you every day by name, is to find God's will for your life and do it and do it. And that's what Paul's prayer was. He wanted them to know God's will for their life and to do it. Notice some interesting facts about this prayer. It was a continuous, continuing prayer, continuous prayer. He says, do not cease to pray for you. You ever go to somebody and you, and you say to them, pray for me, but you know as soon as you put those words out of your mouth, they're not going to pray for you at all. You ever met folks like that? But do you know other people you go to that you know pray for you and you could call to them or text them and say, hey, brother, sister, friend in Christ, would you pray for me? And you know they'll pray for you. They won't cease praying for you till you tell them, okay, that's, I'm, I'm done. I prayed up. <laughs> it's accomplished. It's finished. And that's what Paul was saying. Even though he was in prison, he said, I cease not to pray for you. I'm praying for you continually. I looked up this word prayer. It's found in 336 times in the Bible. The word prayer is mentioned 106 times in the Bible. Must be kind of important. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching hereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 2, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Who do you start with? For kings. You say, I'm supposed to pray for the person at the top of the chain? Yeah. 
for kings and for all that are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all good, goodness and honesty. So we should pray for those who are in authority over us so we have a life that is quiet and peaceable. Say, why do we need a life that's quiet and peaceable? So we can get the gospel out. So people can hear it and be saved. You say, can you give me examples of people who prayed in the, in the Bible? Oh, yes, we can. Job prayed for his friends. Moses prayed for Aaron and Miriam. Samuel prayed for Israel. David prayed for Israel and Solomon. Hezekiah prayed for Judah. Isaiah prayed for the people of God. Daniel prayed for Israel. Ezekiel prayed for Israel. Nehemiah prayed for Judah. Jesus prayed for the disciples. Jerusalem church prayed for Peter's release from prison. Paul prayed for Christians. Epaphras prayed for the Colossians. I couldn't do it in one breath, but I tried. That's a whole lot of praying. Why? Because it's important. I think it was Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, who once said that prayer is the most important arsenal, but the least used in all of our weapons that we have as Christians. I ask you a question this morning. Do you pray continuously for someone? Is there someone you know that you pray for on a regular basis? I hope there is. I hope there is. You see, because it's not just a continuous prayer, it's a caring prayer. Why do you pray for that person? Why do you pray for that brother, that cousin, that aunt, that uh, uncle? First of all, because of a spiritual need, because the greatest need that we have is not physical. You hungry right now? Four hours later, if you're a man, you'll be hungry again. You're going to have a little bit of money now? You may gain some money, you may lose some money. Those things come and go, but the greatest need a person has is spiritual need. Do you pray for someone to be saved? Do you care enough? Do you take the time, which is our most valuable resource that we have in this life? Because life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. The greatest resource we have in this world is time. Do you take the time to pray for that lost brother, that lost cousin, that lost brother-in-law, that lost friend, that lost person you see at Winn-Dixie or Walmart? Do you take the time to pray for their soul? Oh, dear friend, if I was lost today, I'd be praying somebody. I'd be hoping. I may even never mention that somebody pray for me. It says, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Remember, one of the problems that we looked at in this church that they were having was a false, false gospel called, or false truth called Gnosticism. It was a teaching that basically the body and soul, spirit are totally different. The body just basically didn't mean anything. It was only the spiritual that mattered. But friends, we are body, soul, and spirit, I believe. Not just, not just body, not just soul, not just spirit. We're all three. But these Gnosticists, these false teachers believe, well, you know, what you do in your body really doesn't matter because it's just immaterial, it's temporal. It's really what you do in your spirit. It's maybe, we often say in today, it's the thought that counts. What you actually do, to, do in life doesn't really matter. So they thought themselves spiritually elite because of their thinking, because of their beliefs. But unfortunately, they were wrong. And many of them perished. And many people perish today because they think only the thought that counts. Only a dear belief in God matters. Many a person says to me, I believe in God, but the Bible says in the book of James that demons, the devils believe in God and tremble. A mere belief in God is not enough for salvation. 
Just knowing about God, having a knowledge about God, thinking about God, or even praying to God will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. It's a sad commentary on our country, but many people believe, well, I just believe that I'll be saved. No difference more than just belief. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. These Gnostics were wrong because they had an idea. I'll just gain knowledge. And with more knowledge, I'll have power. And how wonderful maybe you may think knowledge it is, but the Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. How many a person have I met as I've gone the door-to-door visitation and talked to them about their very souls? They think what I'm saying to them about the Bible is so inferior to the knowledge because of what they got at that degree at that certain college right down the street. They don't realize that what I'm saying to them is eternal. And what they learn, I'm not saying is not important, but how much more important is this? For when all books are gone or thrown in the trash and are no longer here, this book will be forever. Because it is God's word. It is not man's word. That's why, dear friend, we need to know God in a greater way through spiritual understanding. And that's what he prayed for us, that he would have the knowledge of his will in all spirit, wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's one thing to know facts and figures but something so much more to know, have spiritual understanding, to understand his truth, to understand what he wants for us, to understand his will for his life. One is temporal and will only matter in this life. This is eternal and will last forever. That is the difference. From the apostle's perspective, a deep, growing knowledge of Christ and his will is the greatest importance of the spiritual life. We read in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, that the, God of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you into the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The wonderful Warren Wiersbe. If you get up in the morning, I think about 8 o'clock, you can listen to him on BBN. Great commentator and teacher of the Bible. He wants... He once heard a preacher say, I didn't ever go to school. I'm just an ignorant Christian. Am I glad I is? <clears throat> Which Wiersbe comments, a man does not have to go to school to gain spiritual knowledge, but neither should he magnify ignorance. Dear friend, God gives us wisdom through his word. And as we read it and we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we, we get to know what he wants for us, his will for our life. And by knowing that and accepting that, we see we grow in our faith and our knowledge. And by doing it, our lives are changed and transformed from glory unto glory. Spiritual knowledge comes, as we know, through the work of the Holy Spirit. He reveals Jesus Christ and gives a special, special saving knowledge of him. The Holy does not, Spirit does not work alone. He uses the scriptures as a primary source of knowledge for every believer as they study the word of God through the power of the Spirit. We read in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Bless the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Three things you don't do. But instead of doing those things, he replaces those things. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law doth he meditate day and night. Oh, you say, preacher, all day long I'm at the office and I hear the scornful. 
All day long I'm around sinners who curse and they complain about the problems and troubles of life. Well, as much as possible, stay with, away from them, but at least choose to meditate in this law day and night. What if your thoughts were on the Word of God instead of the problems we have in this world? What if your your thoughts are on the word of God instead of the pain that you're going through in your life? What if your thoughts are on the word of God instead of all the other things that our minds want to be filled on? That's why as Christians, dear friend, the greatest resource we have in this world in front of us is the word of God. We can meditate and study and God has given to us so we can know him better. Typically, we pray for ourselves or others. We pray for physical health and well-being and social relationships and spiritual growth, but part of our intercessory prayer ought to be for the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You say, I want to be prosperous. I want to have good success. Here it is right here. By studying the word of God, your way will be prosperous and you will be successful. Oh, maybe not as the world looks successful, but successful in the eyes of God in the true spiritual realm. And that is all that matters. Oh, dear friend, every believer should be able to filter his culture and all that goes on in the knowledge of this world through the grid of wanting to know his will in his understanding, through his word. So we see Paul's prayer to know God's will, but secondly, Paul's prayer for the worthy walk in verses 10 through 14. It says in verse 10 that he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The Hebrew vocabulary throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the word walk, symbolic. Uh, symb symbolically referred to one's conduct, and this carried over into the Greek New Testament. I remember when Angie and I were getting married, our wedding, her grandfather talked about this passage, one of these passages about walking worthy of the Lord and how it, it's needful that our walk be right before God first and our walk be right between husband and wife and how important that is. Now, mindful of those words, first of all, it has to be a worthy walk. It has to be a worthy walk. You see, there's two different dynamics. Some people say, well, I, I, if I just get excited about it and I have zeal and I have energy, you know, that's, that's one way to go. It's like the Christian who wants to witness for Christ, but he doesn't know what he's actually saying. And when someone's asking him a question about the Bible, they say, I don't know, but you know what? Believe anyway. That's one side. The other side is a person who has great knowledge of the Scripture, but unfortunately they don't have the energy or the excitement, or the zeal to share what they know. You say, who's right or wrong? They're both wrong. We need balance. We need people who are excited about the word, but also need people who are knowledgeable about the word, because there's questions that people ask, like, where did the Bible come from? How do you know there's a God? Why am I sick all the time? Answer those questions. Answer those questions. And sometimes I've had to say, even as a pastor who's gotten degrees in this, I don't know, but I'll tell you what. Give me time, let me study it, and I'll, and I'll answer you later. That's the best answer sometimes we have. To tell them later. A profound knowledge should pro profoundly affect one's walk 
It shouldn't be just about their talk. It should be about their walk. Colossians would talk, walk their talk that their knowledge of Christ would grow, that this turn would produce a conduct which was worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in all aspects. What was the result of this walk for God? Being fruitful. When you, when you do the right thing, when you live the right way, by the grace of God, there'll be fruit. Like the farmer who has to plant, who has to water, who has to pray, who has to cultivate, who has to take out the seed. Then there's fruit that remains. And so it is in the Christian life. We must study the word of God. We must pray. We must cultivate in our own life. There are things that the Holy Spirit, as you read his word, will say to you, you shouldn't continue down that path. You shouldn't hang out with those people. You shouldn't watch that TV program. You shouldn't listen to that. And by the Holy, listen to the, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You say, no, I shouldn't do that. And then you replace those evil things with righteous things, good music, good entertainment, right people. And then you grow in your relationship with God, and then he gives you opportunity to, be, to bear fruit because of your obedience to him. To participate, bearing fruit, is present continuous, meaning it continues to happen. So we see, first of all, this walk, that is a worthy walk. But secondly, it's a knowledgeable walk. You say, preacher, didn't he just talk about the importance of having knowledge? Yeah, he did. But see, in the scriptures, when, when, whether it be Christ or whether it be Paul or Moses emphasized something a second time, it's not because he forgot what he was saying. It's to show emphasis. And Paul is saying again that we need to increase in the knowledge of God, being fruitful in every good work. Why? Because what we know and what we do have to be on the same page. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 17, If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I'll give you the example as I gave a couple of weeks ago about the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave to the lawyer. There's a Good Samaritan, that thief, that man that was, 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 was uh, hurt and and beaten by the thieves, robbed and left on the side of Jericho Road, left for dead. Remember the, the priest who knew, had knowledge of God, and knew knowledge of the Old Testament, he walked by. And the Levite, again, who had knowledge of the word and knew that he should help the stranger, walked right by. But it was the Samaritan who was an outcast, who was someone who would not even, most of the time, be near the Jewish person who had knowledge, yes, I should help them, but not just the knowledge, he had the will and the desire and the energy to do so. And so it is so often in the Christian life. Most of us in this room know that have the knowledge that we need to read the word and pray. Most of us have the knowledge that we need to share the gospel with other people, that the greatest news is not what's going to happen today at 1 o'clock, Versus somebody versus somebody. But the greatest news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the knowledge that happens that we read on Yahoo or read on the uh, telephone, uh, t uh, television set, it doesn't matter as much as this gospel that we have right in front of us. But do we tell others? Do we tell others? It's a powerful walk, number three. It's a knowledgeable walk, number two. It's a worthy walk, number one. It says in verse 11, Strength with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Paul, which prayed for his church, was strengthened. Say, you need to be strengthened with a continuous, steady supply of grace according to his glorious power. I'm glad it's his power, not my power. Amen. I'm glad it's not doing what I want to do in my strength because my strength is small, but his strength is great. He gives us grace in the time of need. 
You may be asking yourself, preacher, how does a person go through the death of a loved one or, or struggle when they hear bad news? By the grace of God. God gives them grace to go through that time. He gives them strength to do that, go through that time in the midst of what they're going through. That's why you look at a person and say, hey, I can never go through that. And dear friend, you couldn't because God didn't give you the grace to go through it at the time. But he gives that person the grace to go through it. It says, strength with all might according to his glorious power unto patience and long-suffering and joyfulness. I don't know about you, but I need patience and long-suffering. Amen? I need patience and long-suffering. This word patient means steadfastness. Paul saying he's enabled to hold one's position in battle. He had the mind of the evil forces there in the area of Colossae, the evil teachers who were teaching false gospel, false truth, that they would stand, that they would endure, that would remain, they would stand fast. I read an illustration about Sir Winston Churchill, who was invited back to his alma mater, Harrow, to address the students near the end of his storied life in public surface, which include guiding Britain through the darkest and finest hours. When the five-foot-five bulldog of a man took the platform, everyone waited breathlessly upon his words, and they would never forget what he heard. He said, young gentlemen, never give up, never give up, never give up, never, never, never. And with that, he sat down. With that, he sat down. That's patience. To, to have patience, he added long-suffering. Long-suffering is in reference to adverse circumstance where patience is a reference to difficult people. Throughout your week, you're going to have difficult circumstances. You might have that flat tower, tire. You might have that broken thermostat, which is not so bad this time of year, but in August, it's pretty rough. Hey, you, you may get that phone call. You may have a bad circumstance at, at work. And that's one thing, to ask for long-suffering through those difficult circumstances. But patience is dealing with people. Do you ever struggle with people at work? Maybe someone or two is too boisterous and they love to give their opinion about the political matters of the day. And you can't wait to say, five o'clock, you're not coming soon enough. Or you have that loved one, that in-law, or maybe that outlaw that you have to have patience with every time you meet them because you just want to say what's on your mind. But if you say what's on your mind, oh, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble and they'll remind you of that for the rest of your life. All we have, we need long-suffering. But yes, we need patience. We need patience. Proverbs 25, verse 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without. Oh, we need to love and persevere through difficulties, through difficulties, through problems, through pain. I think about King David as he was fleeing from his throne in Jerusalem because of his son Absalom who was taking over the throne all ultimately because of his own sin with Bathsheba and Uriah all because of that the consequences of that he was fleeing the capital fleeing the city and here came this man by the name of Shimei and started cursing him and throwing rocks he was someone who loved the old regime he, oh, he loved Saul and he could have with just a word told Abishai or any of his men kill that man but instead of doing that he allowed this to happen because he believed it was a reason God was allowing this in his life to teach him a lesson. God allows sometimes the rocks, the words that are hurled on us to help us look at our life and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Fourth, it's a thankful walk. How else should we walk? Thankfully. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet 
or, to, or, or qualify us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We should be thankful and grateful. I read recently, many years ago, at Northwestern University, there was a life-saving team that assisted passengers on Lake Michigan boats. On September 8th, 1860, the boat, the Lady Elgin, floundered near the campus, and a ministerial student named Edward Spencer personally rescued 17 people. The exposure from the episode permanently damaged his health, and he was unable to continue preparation for the ministry. Some years later, he died, and it was noted that not one of those 17 people went back and thanked him for saving their lives. We have become an ungrateful nation. You see, friends, when a country becomes unholy, one of the first things to go is thankfulness. Thankfulness. How often are you thankful for what people have done for you? See, we're unthankful oftentimes because we forget God and we don't say our prayers. We're not thankful to God. We, say we, don't, we, don't, we don't bow our heads and thank God for the food because we have it in abundance. But imagine if you only had one meal this whole week. Oh, would you be thankful for those saltines, crackers, Brother Roy? Or for that little turkey leg? Would you be thankful if you only had one meal? Oh, we'd be grateful and thankful. But because we have a refrigerator full of food, we're not grateful and thankful because we have so much in abundance. We're thankful and grateful because we have air conditioning. We're thankful and grateful because we have pews, oh, excuse me, chairs that are padded. We're thankful and grateful because we have all these many things that God has blessed us with. Oh, we need to stop and say thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings because, dear friend, those things can change in a moment. Living in Fort Myers, Florida, was sometimes a test. We got to go through the test called Charlie. For a few days, we didn't have air conditioning. Uh, we got to go through some other tests called Irma, which we have seven, nine days without any air conditioning in August, September. And that was a test. And begin at that moment when you lose power, you're thankful for that little fan. That little fan. It's not much, but it's just a little bit that blows with that generator you get. You're thankful for that Christian who brings a generator to you. You're thankful for people who call and check on you when you're going through that trial, that difficulty. You're grateful and thankful for any little bit you, you, ha you can get because you're without. We need to be thankful for everything. Why? Let me give you why. First, in verse 12, we're to be joyfully thankful for the Father because he has made us meet or qualify us to be takers of inheritance, the saints of light. This present reality we are, to, are in the realm of light. Aren't you glad we're in the realm of light? I thank God for the church and for the designers of this church because we have a place of light. Most modern churches are like theaters. They're dark, like dungeons, like theaters. But whoever designed us and thank God for them have made us a place of light. We are children of light. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. First Thessalonians 5, verse 5, you're children of light, and the children of the day, we are not of the light nor darkness. First Peter 2, 9, we are the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people, that you should show forth unto the praise of him who called you out of darkness unto his marvelous light. 
People are lovers of, of darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. We live in this present light. But someday, dear friend, our life, because of what Christ has done in us, will outshine ultimately the, even the sun and the stars. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, who put it this way, Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it's a symbol of Scripture invites us to use. We're summoned to pass in through nature, beyond her, into the splendor which she so fitfully reflects. When the sun, the stars, and the moon are gone, we, because of the grace of God, shall still be when all those are gone. Secondly, why should we give thanks? Well, it says in verse 13, has delivered us from the power of darkness, has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. No longer am I a pauper. No longer I am poor spiritually. No longer I'm a beggar. No longer if I'm wandering in this world in darkness and in pain and sorrow. Now, because of Christ Jesus and what he's done in, in, in this world, and because of the, the faith and the grace that he's given me, now I'm part of the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. And not one bad day, not one bad word, not one bad act can ever change that. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can take me away from this kingdom. Oh, we, have, we, we, we like sports and we watch sports. And sometimes when their team is not doing so good, you say, well, maybe I'll change teams. Maybe you want to because your team didn't win yesterday. But dear friend, we're always in the kingdom of God. It's forever and ever and ever. He's delivered us unto that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, he either quickened, made alive, who are dead in trespasses of sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation. That's mean the way we lived in past times and lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's who we were. You're not born into this world as saints. If I may say it in the old southern way, you're born in this world as ain'ts. Nobody is born in this world saved. We're all lost because of the sin of Adam, and we inherited that sin. But dear friend, I love verse 4, but God, <laughs> but God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. When we didn't have anything, when we were lost and undone, it was because of God and what he's done for us, who's loved us and sent his son to die for us. The final third reason for thanksgiving is found in verse 14. To whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We're not redeemed by anything we good we do. Redeemed means to be brought back. We're not saved. We're not redeemed because we came to church this morning. You're not redeemed if you said, preacher, I want to go get in the water and get wet and get under that. I'm not redeemed because of baptism. You're not redeemed or saved because you give money. You're not redeemed or saved because you simply say, well, I, once upon a time I, I prayed a prayer and I, I made a decision, you know, but I'm not sure what that was. No, dear friend, you're redeemed because you placed your faith and trust and you repented of your sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're saved. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. Another fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm saved, not by being good, 
but because Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. I'm th saved through him. Think about it today. You say, man, that was just one act. That was just a small act 2,000 years ago. Is that very important? I begin this sermon by saying that big things happen in small packages. Big things come in small packages. Oh, that was one event by one man. But dear friend, it was the greatest event of all time by the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I carry on. Oh, dear friend, because he lives, you can have salvation through him forever and ever and ever. You don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to walk this life in pain and difficulty. You don't have to walk it alone, though you have no one else around you. If you know Christ, his spirit is in you and guides you and directs you and helps you and comforts you. You'll never be alone. You'll never be alone. And more than that, you have the word of God. And more of that, you have saints that will love you and encourage you and help you in the, in the walk that he's given you. Oh, dear friend, there's nothing greater in this world than knowing Jesus Christ. If someone was to offer you a billion dollars or Jesus Christ, you would be a foolish person to take that billion dollars. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know Jesus? That's the most important question you could ever answer and say, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Not because I've been good. Not because I'm a Baptist. Because on such and such a date at such and such a time, I recognized the fact that I was a sinner, lost and on my way to hell. But I realized that Jesus Christ died for my sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I trusted in Jesus Christ because of that. It's made all the difference in my life. I was going down the path of sin and sorrow and destruction. Now I'm on the path of righteousness going to that celestial city that John Bunyan writes about in Pilgrim's Progress. I'm on my way. And I fall and I stumble many a time. And I have regrets and pains and sorrows. But by the grace of God, if I die today to be absent from the body, it's to be present with the Lord. I know someday I'm going to be with him. What a glorious day that will be. Could you say that and know it and give me a Bible reason for it? And for us who are here, do we pray? Small, big things come in small packages. What if Joseph Evans, all the way back there in Boston, did not pray for Dr. Edmund in Ecuador? I believe that man would not have survived. You say, why? Because the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Does prayer matter? Jesus prayed. Paul prayed. David prayed. Peter prayed. All these men and women of God prayed because they had a relationship with him, and that communication was vital. Do you pray? Now I'm going to ask you a question. Who do you pray for? You say, preacher, how do I do that? Can I get practical with you for a minute? Paper, pen. Today, when you go home, after you have that Sunday's barbecue, or that day's barbecue, no, you know, whatever you go. Number one, pray for kings and authority. Remember we said that? That's, that's, what, that's what Marty said. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to pray for all those in authority in our country. 
check. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for my friends. I'm going to pray for folks that I meet who are going through problems. I'm going to have a list. You see, friends, let me be honest with you. If you have no list, you have no prayer. You say, preacher, I need a list. Yeah. And the older you get, the more lists you need. And more places you need that list because you're going to forget where you put the list. <laughs> but two things you need every day. A time in this word. This is God talking to you. And you take this list. And so, Lord, by the grace of God, I'm going to praise you and thank you for all that you've done for me. And I want to pray for all those who are in authority in my life. I want to pray for these folks who need salvation. I want to pray for these folks who need to have financial struggles. I want to pray for these folks who have physical needs. And you have that list and you add to those lists. And I tell you, if you continue down that path, you'll take the same pen. And by the grace of God, you'll mark those off. Because we're not just talking to the air. We're talking to someone who's immortal. Who loves us and cares for us. And he answers our prayer. And you'll see your faith grow. Because you're obedient to him. I ask you again. Do you pray? Father we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the folks who prayed for me. And do pray for me. I pray, God, you'd help us to be a church that prays. This is the house of prayer. And as people of God, children of light, we shall be people who pray. Not just the knowledge of it. Not just the energy, but both the knowledge and the willingness to do so. Help us to have both. I wonder if the one in this room would say, Preacher, I heard what you said about knowing Christ and having a relationship with him and because of that, we're children of light and have a place in heaven. But I don't know that for sure. I don't know if I were to die today where I would go, but I want to know. I don't want to think so. I want to hope so. I don't want to possibly just possibly think I know, but I want to know Christ is my Savior. I want to know that if I were to die today, I'll have a home in heaven forever. Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you. I promise you that. But I'd love to pray for you. Anybody like that this morning? Preacher, I'm just not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Amen. Thank you for your honesty, brother. Anybody else? Anybody else? Be honest. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for your honesty. So I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you raise your hand, come see me after church. If you're a man, if you're a woman, come see my wife after church. It's the most important decision you ever make, and I encourage you. Come see us after church. How many of you here say, Preacher, I'm saved, but I've just not been praying. I don't have that list, but I need to. I have the knowledge. I've heard prayer, sermons on prayer for many years, but I've honestly not been praying the way I should. And today, not only do I have the knowledge, I'm needing to, I'm going to put feet to my prayer, and by the grace of God, I'm going to do exactly what you just said. I'm going to make it a ritual. Every day, by the grace of God, I'm going to read the word of God and I'm going to take this list and I'm going to pray over this list. Would you, I'm praying that God would help me to be faithful to do that. Is that your prayer this morning? Can I pray for anybody who says, yes, me, amen. That's me, amen. Somebody else, thank you for your honesty and willingness to admit it. I, need, I, I struggle with this. Dear friend, it's the greatest struggle we have. We all have it, amen. Someone else, I'm struggling, amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else, I'm struggling with this. I don't have the list, amen. Anyone else? Amen. 
Anyone else? I'm struggling. I'm struggling. It's an area of prayer. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Someone else. I'm struggling with this. Amen. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty and willingness to admit. And that's how it all begins, by willing to say, hey, I have, a, I have a, something I need to change. And by the grace of God, I need to do it. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If God has spoken to your heart, you need salvation or you need encouragement to pray. Maybe today is the time to put a stake down. Maybe you say, I'm, I'm going to go forward and pray at this old altar and ask God to help me to pray. I know I need to, but I just haven't been doing it. Would you like to commit to it today? You can make that decision in your seat, but it's something about walking down, getting this old altar, get before God, and say, Lord, I'm committing to it. It has helped me so many times if I've done it myself. As the music plays, obey God this morning. Whatever he wants you to do, I need to, I need to do this. It's a holy habit I need to make in my life. Someone else, I'm struggling. I need to make a decision. I need to put a stake down. Lord, help me to pray consistently, caringly. Oh, dear friend, we need it. This world's in a mess. There's ever a time we needed prayer. It's now. It's now. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God choose to do his will.